Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you in the office this evening. It's a Tuesday. We're rocking right on through this week. I hope you're having a good week. I want to share with you a message. This has kind of been boiling in me, and honestly, it's probably one I've done before. Uh, maybe not this particular message, but uh, using this particular context, I guess, maybe. Uh, obviously, I don't think I can ever say the same thing twice, but I want to share with you what I titled today, Come on, man. And yes, there's an exclamation point behind that. In his writings to help Christians grow in maturity, James has already covered topics like our speech, our prejudice, uh, putting faith into action, and the attitude with which we face challenges and trials. He did that in, ver in chapters 1 through 3 of his book of James. Now we're going to look at the key to growing in all of these ways. And this comes in chapter 4. And it comes with a humbling of ourselves. If we can learn to prefer others and God over self in all things, then we have the foundation we need to be more mature as Christians and as followers of Christ. It's difficult because selfishness is rampant today. Um, this entitlement culture uh, is is out of whack um, and and we've got this is something that is a choice, but I believe it's something of why this message is becoming so strong and so loud today is because of the fact that we're living in such a selfish generation, a selfish time, I guess I should say. So we're going to look at James chapter 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter. There's only 17 verses, so don't get too scared. It won't take me too long to get through this. But James chapter 4, and when you look at this, verses 1 through 11 uh, basically is rejecting our prideful behavior. So let's take a look at this. In James chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 1. What leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, that's a great question all on its own. Selfishness is usually the root of a lot of that argument and quarrel. It goes on to say, do they not come from your hedonistic, your, your, actually your evil desires that wage war in your bodily members fighting from control over you? This is actually true. That one passage of scripture, verse 1, could literally set the tone for multiple messages here. What leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among us? Do they not come from our own selfish desires that wage war in our bodily members fighting for control over us? Verse 2 goes on to say, You are jealous and you covet what others have, and your lust goes unfulfilled. So you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy. So you fight and you battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. Now, I've heard this passage preached many, many times. You don't have because you don't ask. But if you look at verse 3, it explains some of the why. You ask God for something and do not receive it because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask out of selfishness or with an unrighteous agenda, so that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your own selfish desire. Chapter or Verse 4 goes on to say, You adulteresses, disloyal sinners, flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God, do you not know that being the world's friend, that is, loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I want you to really pay attention to what that just said. Whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's always a choice. 
God leads us with a choice. The world is not so strong we can't stand against it. We choose to fail when we fail. Verse 5 goes on to say, Or do you think that the Scripture says to no purpose that the human spirit which he has made to dwell in us lusts with envy? But he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and to live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. Therefore, remember what that word means, because of this, it says, God is opposed to the proud and the haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness, who turn away from entitlement, who turn away from that I-you-owe-me-something mentality. Verse 7 goes on to say, so submit to the authority of God. Now, I've heard this preached a lot. Resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he'll flee from you. But see, without the very first part of that, verse 7, the rest of it doesn't work. If there's no submission to the authority of God, if we don't submit, it doesn't matter what we do, we can't resist, and we won't be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. So verse 7 says, so submit to the authority of God. Uh, Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Come close to God with a contrite heart, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your unfaithful hearts, you double-minded people. Be miserable and grieve and weep over your sin. Let your foolish laughter be turned into mourning and your reckless joy into gloom. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you purpose. Believers do not speak against or slander one another, who speaks self-righteously against a brother or judges his brother hypocritically, speaks against the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, the one God who has the absolute power of life and death. But who are you to hypocritically or self-righteously pass judgment on your neighbor? Listen, this is stuff we really need to take in. We really need to pay attention to this. This is a passage of Scripture that needs to be highlighted in your Bible. You need to have a bookmarker sticking up in it so you can flip it open from time to time and remind yourself of how important this piece of Scripture really is. There's 17 verses. You, you need to mark this. I mean, you could highlight the whole passage, the whole chapter 4. It would be worth it, I guarantee you. Maybe highlight it and circle a few places. If you look at verse 13 through 17, which is the end of this chapter, it's putting God's will first. Now, remember what we talked about in being God's will. That word will is God's desire or God's choice. His choice, his desire for us. Not our own, not our choice, not our will, but God's. His will first. Verse 13 says, come now and pay attention to this. There you go. Come on, man, pay attention to this. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and carry on our business and make a profit. Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? You are merely a vapor, like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then it vanishes into the air. Other versions talk about that we're like a mist or like a vapor, like a fog, like a morning fog. Verse 15 says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, 
we will live and we will do this or we will do that. Up to him, his choice, his, his desire for us. Verse 16 says, but as it is, you boast vainly in your pretensions and arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And he ends this chapter this way. So any person who knows what is right to do, but does not do it, to him it is sin. That's powerful. That one verse again, you could preach verse 1, you could preach verse 17, you could preach any of these in the middle. If you know what is right to do and you do not do it, in other words, you choose to not do what is right, you know in your heart it's sin. It's, it's pretty plain simple. Some miscellaneous thoughts as we conclude this. So it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. It seems almost a random statement in context, but James is really making the point here. We let our pride sometimes obscure what is good. Who is my neighbor? Is it just the people that live next door to us? No, it's everybody we come in contact with throughout life. He makes it clear as a summation of his words about humble living that we must be humble enough to pursue goodness. It's, it's easy to pursue selfishness. But we've got to be humble in order to pursue what is right. Who are you to judge your neighbor, he says. It's hard to read things like this and think that God is okay with the secular battles that we Christians sometimes become embroiled in. Especially when we get caught up in dishonesty or character assassination as a result of it. It's selfishness. It's entitlement. It's self-centeredness. And it's blatant all around us every day. This is something that we must choose to stand against in our own heart, in our own life, every day. It's only our pride that justifies such behavior. And we know from God's word that it says pride comes before a fall. If, if we don't get control of our selfish nature, our selfishness, our entitlement, our you owe me something attitude, we're going to struggle in this world. God says that we're to humble ourselves before him. Stop the quarreling. Stop the fighting. Stop harassing each other. Stop putting each other down. It, negativity is blatant. It's, it's rampant. It's, it's, it's as loud as selfishness today. It's, it's so easy to be so negative in life. Well, I sure didn't like that. I wish you'd have said that another way. Or, well, I wish you'd have used another version of, of Scripture. Or, I, I wish they wouldn't have put that in that song. Or, I wish it wasn't so loud. There's always, it's, it's so easy to be critical. It's so easy to be this, this negative vibe. And Satan will jump on that and he'll use that and he'll, pour, he'll pursue us with that on a constant level. And he'll keep us pushed down. He'll keep us pushed back. We've got to learn to recognize it. And begin to speak the opposite. Begin to speak the positives. Begin to speak life into, into such instead of death. Begin to speak light instead of darkness. We are light. Darkness can't encroach upon light. He can't touch us. We've got to make the decision to be who we're supposed to be. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. Living our life according to God's word. Rejecting this prideful behavior. And putting his will first in everything that we do. When you ask God for something and don't receive it, maybe it's because you're asking from a selfish motive. Maybe you're not where you should be in your agenda. You don't get what you want because we ask for our own selfish desires. If we would simply submit to the authority of God, then we have the power to resist the enemy and he will have to flee from us. When we have the light turned on, 
Satan can't come near us. He can't encroach upon light. Man, I hope this hits you in the heart today. I hope this hits you like it hits me. I, I have been fighting with this and, and, and putting it together. It's been churning in my spirit. And this is a familiar passage of scripture to me. I've preached many, many messages out of James. But this is powerful. and We need to catch it. The reason it maybe is on repeat is because it's something that we struggle with as human nature today. Maybe it's something we struggle with as a Christian nature today. We've got to stop the negativity. We've got to stop attacking our fellow believers in Christ. And we've got to bond together, resisting the enemy, submitting ourselves to God, resisting the enemy, and watch him flee. We can turn this. We can live a humble life. And in that humility, God will lift us up. He'll provide everything that we need in the process. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to our our podcasts, our broadcasts, whatever those are. Thank you for supporting Rhonda and I financially. All of our giving links are on our website, www.livingloudoutdoors.com, pinned right to the top of our Facebook page. If you've never been to the website, there's a bunch of videos on there of stuff that we've done. There's some cool stuff that uh, my son Chris put together. Uh, there's a there's a, a, a turkey hunt with me and my best friend that I grew up with. Him, Steve, and I knew each other since we were two. Uh, and that turkey hunt's on there. It was a very uh, beautiful time spent together uh, as as my friend has uh, been battling some uh, some some physical ailments and some cancer. And uh, we had an opportunity to take him and his son together, spend some time with them out in western Oklahoma on a turkey hunt. Great, great videos on there. Uh, there's all kinds of me preaching messages on there as well. Several other videos. Visit the website, www.livingloudoutdoors.com. It's living, L-I-V-I-N, no G, livingloudoutdoors.com. All the giving links are on there. All the cool stuff's on there. You'll see the the, the uh, sermon I use with the duck call sermon. It's on there. There's ways you can get involved with us on that as well. And so uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Please continue to pray with us as we seek that which is lost so that it may be found. Amen. God bless you. Rhonda and I love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.